What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to actually embarrass you, Matthew. Uh, it was actually two years ago. So either you just, t- you know, maybe time is flying or you need to get maybe get some something checked or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> it does. It feels like time has just flown. Right. You know, because it literally was like, I, I don't know the exact Sunday we came. But it was probably literally two years ago, like to the day. I mean, I'm not kidding. And what was what's what's cool is obviously I see a lot of familiar faces, people that were there two years ago, or people that we know, uh, you know. Just but um, when you go out and you don't, you know, you're familiar with Scotland as in general, but you're not really familiar with what God's going to do. So you kind of just give these like, well, we hope that God does this, and we think that God is going to do that, and we and we pray for that God, you know, this is what happens, and this is what we see. So now we come two years later, and we actually don't have to go, well, we think. No, we know, because we've been doing it, you know, for two years. And what's awesome to see is um, God started us there um, uh, just meeting in our home, right? And, and then... Sh- uh, about that was about a year process. We we did that for about a year, and and found out quickly. I know you had given us some advice. Don't meet in your home. You know, go find a place to meet at. And but we didn't take that. So we advice at first, at least. And so we met in our home. And not many people were coming because I mean, yeah, you know, if you don't like what I'm saying and you're in like in a in a location to get up and walk out is slightly embarrassing, but to actually get up and walk out of somebody's home, it's you know, it's a little more daunting. So people are like, I don't know if I'm going to go check that out. But uh, God opened up the opportunity last uh, last year around this time. Uh, uh, some people from from here from Texas uh, kind of partnered with us to be able to afford to get our own facility, our own building, uh, not building, but a, a unit in a. It's called an arcade. Don't think of it as like centipede and games and pinball and all that kind of stuff. It's a shopping mall kind of a thing. They call it an arcade. Uh, anyway, so we've been there for all for nearly a year in the arcade. And since that time, God has just kind of uh, has just done some amazing things. We are right in the middle of the city center. So because of that, we kind of draw attention to ourselves. Not too many churches are meeting in like a shopping mall, you know, or, you know, that's a very unusual thing for 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 over there. And so we kind of draw attention to ourselves. Uh, some of the individuals that we've drawn attention from are uh, from the local homeless people, you know, and which is really actually pretty awesome. Uh, for a, such a small city as Sterling is, uh, it's got a very high percentage uh, of homeless, drug addicts, uh, uh, alcoholics, people that are just on the streets. We call them street people. And God has started to bring them in as well, just to kind of us for us to minister to them. So that's one of the ministries that God has um, kind of put in our laps. That was not the ministry. I can honestly tell you, that is not what I expected. I was not thinking, I'm going to go and have a street people's ministry or, you know, alcohol and drug. You know, I did not think that. I was thinking all these other things, right? But God said, no, this is at least for now, this is what I want for you. You know, this is what I want for your church. Uh, We have grown as a church to about 12, 15 adults. And uh, it's pretty awesome. What's really uh, weird, and maybe it's because we our services are Sunday evenings and Thursday evenings. So maybe this is the reason why this is the fact. But we have no kids. No, We have only one other couple, and the rest are just singles, single people, just different individuals. So that's kind of ironic. I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, you know, it's probably a blessing for my wife because she would be in there, and she doesn't really like watching kids. But, you know. <laughs> We had our own, and they're grown up, so that was all, you know, it's like, 
So um, anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit more, but what I really would like to do, so, you know, maybe those of you who are here two years ago and those that you know us have been praying for us um, and praying for what God is doing, but I we have a video and we want to show that video. It's about five minutes long, but it's about uh, kind of, we interview some of the people in our, in our fellowship, about ha- half of them or so, so six or so of them, and, and just ask them certain questions and then you can get to know who they are, right? So if you're praying for Calvary Fellowship in Sterling, these are some of the individuals that you will be praying for. And um, they, they are speaking English. I want you to know that. So we didn't put subtitles, so I hope that you can understand them. I trust that you will. Most everybody has said they, they understand them. So anyway, so go ahead and show the video. You know, we, they, they said that the spiritual climate, what's the spiritual climate? It's very dark. You know, Scotland used to be the, the place, and I talked about this, I think, two years ago when we were here, the place where they sent out missionaries, right? They were, the, they were considered that in England, you know, the hub of, of Christianity at the time. And now I would say you, would, you, you probably 5%, 4% even go to church, you know, and are called Christians. 57% of the, of the population in Scotland consider themselves either atheists or, you know, agnostic, like in other words, no religious affiliation whatsoever. So it, it's, a, it's, it's a dark place. Now, I also heard other people say, well, you know, they've had their time, right? And, and so, the, the, you know, God has moved on, so to speak, and I don't believe that one bit. I believe God loves them. I mean, how, who wouldn't, who, I mean, who, who would we say doesn't deserve to hear the gospel, right? There's a whole generation of, of people there in Scotland that have grown up have never even heard the gospel, never even heard, uh, you know, they don't talk about God in any fashion or form because that's just not part of their, their consciousness, part of their, their thought process because of how they've been taught and how they grew up. So, uh, you know, God is, I, I really believe he's put us there because he desires to see a work and see people reached, uh, you know, before he returns, you know, that we can, as, as many as possible, could come in as well. We, we find that we're, we're, we're there to be a kind of a sound kind of balanced place where people can get discipled. People can get hear the word of God. A lot of the churches there are, are either very, very uh, formal, right. Or very liberal. Uh, or if there's a couple that are a couple of churches that are kind of out there on the fringe, if you will, uh, some of the faith and prosperity type of teaching and so on. So God has really shown us that we're there for, for a purpose and a reason. And so we solicit your support, your, your, your prayer, you know, that you can pray for us. I mean, we need that. It's, it is like, as the gentleman there said at the end, a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare uh, that takes place. You're going into the enemy's territory and you're punching him in the nose and you're saying, we're going to take back what rightfully, rightfully belongs to God, right? You know, and so he's not going to just go, oh, okay. You know, he's not going to roll over. Right, you gotta you gotta bind the strong man, as the scripture says. So that's 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 the battle we face. And so to join with us in prayer, to join with us to be able to do that is is important. Uh, you know, there's different ways you can you can join with us. Obviously, financial support. I mean, but if you wanted to, we have these cards on the back table. So after the service, please come and and talk to us. And this just kind of tells you how to how you can join with us uh, in supporting us. But as well, um, there's little uh, magnets and little other gifts that you have so you can take one and that'll help you to kind of remind you to pray for us and just remind you about Scotland. And then one last thing is a friend of ours, uh, she just wanted to bless us. So she made a bunch of these t-shirts. They're, they're actually not just printed on, they're actually embroidered. So they're like, this is like the real deal, right? This is not going to fade away, you know? And so on the back, it has, uh, you know, Scotland, uh, Calvary Fellowship Sterling. So uh, any donation uh, just to, to pick up a shirt if you want to do that as well. And that, that, that really helps offset the cost that we have of coming here, you know, as far as our travels and so on and so forth. So um, just as far as prayer is concerned, uh, pray for our people. They're, they're just growing, right? A lot of, some of them been Christians for a while, but they just, haven't had real strong discipleship, strong, you know, good sound teaching. So we, we're building a foundation with them. And, and then just the ministries that we have going on uh, with the homeless and the street people 
that is a, we're just taking baby steps right now, right? Just to see where God would lead us, what he would do. Obviously, we're limited in our resources and, and in our, our experience and what we, how, to, how to reach them, how to help them. But God is just leading us step by step, right? And he's just bringing them in. So, uh, and then just reaching people because our, our facility, like I said, it's in a, it's in a shopping mall. It's the storefront uh, is, the, is right there with glass all along. On the, so as people walk by and we're having our service just right there, like literally imagine that being all behind you, all glass, people walking by. They may not step foot into a church, but literally, little do they know as they're walking by, boom, they're in church, you know, because they can hear the services going on. We've had people walk in the middle of our service, just homeless people walk in, you know, uh, other people just walk in like, what's going on in here? You know, and then they just sit down and they get to hear the word of God. Uh, during the day, I'm there studying and people walk in and just ask me questions. You know, I had Muslims and Hindus and uh, uh, spiritists, you know, and just atheists and people just different ages, different, you know, walk in and just say, hey, I have some questions for you. And it's just, it's just really awesome. So the Lord is just working in that. Um, there's a lot more, but I, I, I don't want to, you know, take up more of the time that we have this morning because I know we're going to get into the word. But I, uh, we have the table there. Oh, and yeah, signing up for our newsletter. If you haven't done that already, if you've signed up for our newsletter before, like two years ago, and you like, I haven't been getting it. Well, check your spam folder. Because a lot of times if you have Gmail or Yahoo.com or whatever, uh, it goes to the spam folder. So just check that. And uh, But we love to connect with you that way. Newsletter. Uh, we also Facebook Live. We, we, we live stream our services on Facebook. Uh, so you can, you know, maybe just come in and join in and sit, sit in a service with us, you know, uh, online. So anyway, questions that you have, I, I know that we're going to pray after the service for us. So uh, just pray for spiritual growth, spiritual, the warfare, uh, and then God would connect us with more people in the community and then just use us. So, um, all right, with that, we are going to get into the word and I appreciate it. Uh, Pastor Matthew asked, uh, allowing me to teach this morning and share from the word, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you this morning. Anytime you open the word of God, it should be a blessing. So let me pray and let's, let's go before, allow God to go before us in our time in the word. Praise you, God. Thank you so much for this time in your, in your word, Lord. It is true that your word speaks to our hearts. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able and capable of dividing between the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And so, Lord, as we delve into your word, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, show us what it is that you love, you desire to say to us, the, the, the direction and the encouragement and the, even the, the, um, the conviction that you desire to do in our lives. Lord, may we be open to it. May we hear it and receive it and allow it to do its work in us. We praise you, God, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this morning's message, I, I've entitled it, actually, Are We Lost? You ever been in a, in a car, and maybe you're the passenger, and you're driving along with somebody, and you, know, you think they know where they're going, and then after a certain kind of period of time, you realize, I don't think they do. I, I think we're lost, you know? And uh, I would like to think, and I would like to say to you that I'm one of those people with that perfect innate sense of direction. I just know where I'm going. I know where I am. Not so much, right? Not so much. In fact, um, years ago after Katrina, right, and we, we, we took a team down to do some relief work, and, and uh, I was the designated driver. I know there's somebody here that was actually on that team. Ray, thank you. Uh, and I, I missed so many turns. They started, they started, he can testify to this. They started calling me U-turn. <laughs> That's just me, right? But guys, I mean, I'm going to pick on you guys for a moment, the guys. We tend to have this idea that, you know, oh, we have this innate sense of direction. You know, we, we don't like, oh, the wives will, you know, be, why don't you stop and ask for directions? They're like, no. I know where I'm going, you know, and, and we kind of think, well, why is that? Could it be that we're just too stubborn, too prideful, you know, 
We're not, we're not, we, we, we don't want ourselves to be humbled enough to stop and ask for directions. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking that's really, you know, a picture of humanity, how humanity is, right? Because especially when it comes to the big questions of life, right? Like, is there a God or, you know, what happens after you die or, or even like, what do you do about your sin, the sin in your life? Questions like that, right? And when we have those kinds of questions, most people tend to let their pride keep them from admitting that they are completely lost. They're completely lost and in need of help. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what God has to say about those that are lost, right? So Luke chapter 15. So you have your Bibles, I trust. Luke chapter 15. A little bit of just a brief little bit of context. When you get to Luke chapter 15, in fact, for most of the few chapters ahead of that, like 12, 14, 13, 14, and so on, uh, Jesus is actually heading towards Jerusalem for the last time. And not, he's only just weeks, months away from being going to the cross, crucified. So he's every moment he has to speak to the people, he's going to take advantage of. And he's, he speaks to various, along the way, he speaks to various different individuals as well as groups. He's spoken from the highest in the society of the, like the, the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees to like the lowbrow in society, the riffraff, I call them, you know. Uh, and then now we're going to get to this particular chapter where he's going to speak to the lowest of low in the society, right? And he's going to do it by speaking parables. He's often, Jesus often speaks in parables, right? So this is no different. And so he, especially the first two parables, there's three parables in chapter 15. We're only going to cover the first two. But these parables... Uh, speak to th that things or someone that is lost or something that is lost, right? And by many, this is this chapter, chapter fifteen of Luke, is considered one of the most heartwarming chapters in all of the gospel because it tells us, it speaks to us about God's heart and His care and His concern and how He feels about the lost. So Luke chapter fifteen, and we're going to start in verse one and we'll just go through verse ten. And we'll look at two, two, uh, we'll divide up our time between just the two different, the first two uh, parables, the lost sheep and then the lost coin. So verse one says this, it says, then all the tax collectors and, and sinners drew near to him, that's Jesus, to hear him. The tax collectors and the sinners, we'll stop there because it says tax collectors and who are these groups of people? Who are the tax collectors and the sinners? Well, of course, tax collectors. You, you've probably heard people, probably Pastor Matthew, you've talked about the tax collectors. The tax collectors in, this, in Jewish society were actually considered traitors by their own people. They were, they were considered outcasts and traitors. Why? Because they took the job of collecting the taxes that the Roman government placed upon the, the people of, of Israel. Right? So they, their job was to collect the taxes for the Romans. But not only did they collect taxes for the Romans, they were given permission so to make a living by charging whatever they can charge above and beyond what the Romans wanted for their taxes. So they charged the people, and they would even often gouge the people right, to take money from them and, and they actually as well had the uh, kind of power and the authority of the Roman soldiers behind them. So the Jewish people couldn't do anything about it. Whatever they charged, whatever they asked for, they had to give. They had to pay. So you, you, you're familiar with some, some Matthew, the, the Gospel of Matthew, the, one of the, the 12. He was a tax collector, as well as Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man, right? He, he was a tax collector. Very wealthy, right? They, they can, a very lucrative life. but it came at the expense and the cost of their own reputation. It came at the expense and the cost of them being accepted by their own people, right? They, they got rich, but they were, all, they were outcasts. They were just off on their own. They were despised, and they were hated. Now, in the previous chapter, Jesus spoke about, right? He spoke about a, 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 a great feast, Right? He gave a parable about a great feast, and people uh, were invited. They gave, they gave excuse after excuse to be rejected. 
uh, to reject the invitation. And then he says, well, now go to the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, right? Invite them to come in. As well, uh, go out to the highways and the byways and, and compel them to come in, right? And so the, the, the people got excited. The crowd got excited because there was a possibility that they could actually make it into heaven. They understood the parable, right? That Jesus was saying, oh, this is, there's a possibility that you could get into heaven. They thought that heaven was only for the rich and for the wealthy and for the religious leaders and so on. And so for them to get into heaven, it was like maybe a 50-50 shot at best, right? And so, but then Jesus even talked about as well, oh, you, but, to, but to have that invitation be kind of uh, acceptable, you have to forsake all, right? Forsake all to follow Jesus. So that was a real hard thing for them, for the, for the, the, the crowd, the multitudes, even though they saw themselves as poor, maimed, lame, and blind, they were, I don't know, they weren't, sure, you know, were really ready necessarily to forsake all, right? And yet these guys, the tax collectors and the sinners, it's like, well, they, for them, what was the odds of them getting into heaven? That was pretty slim, pretty low. I mean, almost non-existent for them. And yet Jesus is basically saying, oh, you know, he's, 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 he's receiving them. He's, he's accepting them. So that's the tax collectors. The sinners, right? Who are they? You got to imagine they had to be really bad. You can imagine, just, just use your imagination, the kinds of things that they would, the acts and the, uh, the, the reputation and the things that they would do to actually just be lumped into a category of sinners. Just individuals that did, so, did things that were so bad, they just, they just couldn't have any other adjectives for them. Just call them sinners, right? You know? And so... Uh, these these people, when when Jesus talked about forsaking all, it wasn't that hard for them to imagine forsaking all because what did they have in their lives that was worth holding on to, right? The money that they had obviously didn't satisfy them because they had no friends, no family, nobody in their lives other than other tax collectors or sinners, you know? That's all who they hung around with. And so for them to just say, oh, I'm willing and ready to forsake all, and they're coming to Jesus willingly to hear him. But think about this, because isn't that the perspective that God wants us to have? Jesus gave another parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed an unpayable debt. You know that parable. You're familiar with that, right? Because the point of that is that we are that servant, we, each one of us, are that servant. We're, the, we're that servant who owes an unpayable debt, but yet Jesus paid that unpayable debt for us, right, on the cross. And so we have to come to that conclusion that we're just like that, those tax collectors. We're just like those sinners. And then so when we realize, hey, we're sinful, we're, we're completely depraved, right? We humble ourselves and we draw near to Jesus, Listen, Jesus received those tax collectors and sinners, and when we humble ourselves, just like those tax collectors and sinners, Jesus receives us. Jesus takes us in. So that's the setting, right? That's the scene. But of course, if you read the Gospels enough, you realize every, around every corner, around every turn, every time Jesus says something, those pesky Pharisees always have something to say, right? They always have an answer. They always have something to, you know, kind of come back with. And this, and this is no different in this case. Verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow, how dare he? <laughs> What's so big deal about eating with them, right? Well, there's a, there's a reason for this. See, in that culture, they saw eating as something sort of had a, eating with other people had a little bit of a mystical kind of an attachment to it. The idea was that when you would eat with somebody and you would, um, you know, you tear off some bread and you have the little sauces and the, the slop and you'd pour it, you'd mix it, and you, you're, you're dipping your bread into this, and then that person's dipping their bread. It's, they, in their mind, they had this idea that a little bit of them would rub off into the food and then you would dip it into it and then you would receive it and you would be kind of taking a little part of them into you and then vice versa, Right? So, so that was a real weird thing for them. And so think about this, because it makes then, if you think about that mindset, then certain scriptures start to kind of make sense. Revelation 3.20, when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, 
And if anyone opens the door and hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus was using that same mindset by basically saying, I will dine with you. You and I will become one. Part of you will be in me and part of me will be in you. That kind of idea that you'll join together. And so for Jesus to eat with these tax collectors and sinners was to the, for the tax, for the, uh, for the Pharisees was appalling. Oh, he's joining together with them. But listen, think about that because Jesus is also saying something that demonstrates the kind of love that Jesus has. He is willing to join with us, right? The extent of God's love. And so Jesus at this point with that kind of, you know, kind of setting, he begins these parables. So our first point, the lost sheep, he speaks, he says in verse three, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you, he says, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I love this parable. It is a picture of the heart of God. Picture of the heart of God. Well, let's break it down. First off, Jesus, he says, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, of course, he says, what man of you? What man of you? He asks a question. What man of you? It's a rhetorical question. Because first off, he's talking about a shepherd, right? And, and if you think about shepherd, rightfully so, a, a shepherd, if he loses one sheep, would, would for sure. He would go after any good shepherd worth his, you know, his, his salt, if you will, would go <coughs> after that one sheep. But at the same time, he's also indicting the Pharisees because he's saying, what man of you, you think that's what you would do if you were a shepherd, but here's the deal. None of you do this, right? None of you, and you're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, none of you go after the lost, right? You leave them out there. You treat them like they're just, they're outcasts, that, that they're, you know, worthless, and you don't even want to have anything to do with them, right? He's indicting them. At the same time, he's also giving us the heart of God for those very same lost individuals. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to abandon the, think about it, the majority of Israel to be able to receive the ones who are willing to completely forsake their sinfulness and their pride uh, and, and follow him. He's willing to receive them. In fact, <clears throat> in regards to the 99, very often, and I have, I've often thought this myself in, when I think of the, the picture of 99, the hundred and the 99 and you leave the one. We often think of them, maybe you, maybe you can testify to this, but you think of the 99 as being a group of Christians and that the Christians are all together and then the one that branches off and, and then we go after the one, right? And there's a picture to that and, I, and that's, that's okay to think of it in those terms. But that's not the context of this particular parable. Think about this. Notice where the 99 are. The 99, it says, are in the wilderness. Let's face it. The Bible, when it, when it talks about wilderness, it's usually not a good thing, right? If you're out in the wilderness, the, the, the children of Israel in the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, that was like a punishment, right? Because they, for their disbelief, right? So these, these 99 are in the wilderness. Who are these 99? Well, the 99, I kind of referred to it already. The 99 are Israel, right? Are Israel. The, the, the Israel was meant to be the original flock of God. Jesus even said, I came to the lost house of, of Israel. And yet, when we read and we understand the Gospels, we see time and time again that the vast majority of Israel, especially the religious leaders, rejected Jesus, right? They, they rejected their own Messiah. In fact, they didn't, and we see this, and we're going to understand this even more as we move through this parable, they didn't see themselves as being lost, right? 
though they were in the wilderness. They did not realize they were in the wilderness. And I started thinking about that. Why would the 99 not realize that they were in the wilderness? And I, I don't know if this is the exact way to interpret this, but I, I think it's because there was 99 of them, right? There was a group. Isn't that how it is in our society? If there is a group of, of people, no matter how far out they are, or no matter what they're thinking or what they're doing, right? If there's a group of them, they must be right. They must be okay. And so we have a whole society. Think about our own society. We have a whole group, a, a society that are grouped together and they think that they're okay. So they're, they're buying into gender fluidity or alternative lifestyles. And why is it okay? Well, because there's a group of them. And if there's a group, we must be right, right? You know, the idea of majority rules, because there's a, enough of us that says it's okay. Well, we know that's not the case, right? And little do they know, they're out in the wilderness. Those individuals are out in the wilderness completely lost. Now you think about, well, then if that's the case, what's who's that one then? Well, if you kind of use the same analogy, same idea, there's that one that is kind of not buying into all of that. He's kind of, but they're, they're out there. He or she's out there. They're just kind of, I don't know what's going on in this group, but I'm, I'm kind of moving on. I'm doing my own thing. And they're just out there lost. They just don't know where to turn, where to look. You know, they just lost completely, right? That's the individuals that, that the Lord goes after. That's the person he goes after. And then it tells us when he finds them, it tells us he lays that sheep on his shoulders. I love that because that's a very a standard and a very well-used uh, shepherding technique, right? If your sheep is kind of going wayward regularly, you put that sheep on your shoulders and you let them, you walk around with them and, and you kind of spend time with them. Why? So that they can get reacclimated to the shepherd's voice, right? We are called sheep. That's very important. We're not cattle. Cattle are driven, right? Cattle, you get behind them and you force them to go in a certain direction. Sheep are led. And how do you lead them? You lead them with your voice, right? That's how the shepherds lead. Come on, follow me, follow me, right? In fact, even <clears throat> Jesus says this. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, right? And so this one wayward sheep, Jesus says, I want you to get used to my voice again or get used to my voice in the first place. So he puts that sheep on his shoulders. That's a picture of the Lord. What he does with us, right? When we come to him, whether that's that first time coming to him or even we've been wayward and he, we come back, we re rededicate our lives. He puts us on his shoulders. He, he lets us hear his voice. He wants us to know his voice. And listen, that, that's, that speaks volumes to these tax collectors because, and these sinners because it tells us, he's telling them, I love you. This is the kind of care I want to have for you, right? As opposed to these religious leaders who had nothing but contempt for them. Now, again, then Jesus, notice Jesus says when he, when he takes the sheep, right? He doesn't take the sheep, think about this, back to the 99 out in the wilderness. It doesn't say that, right? It actually says, and when he comes home. I love that. It's the idea that he's actually taking the sheep, not back to the wilderness, but to his own home. That's beautiful. We think of Jesus as well in John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Right? So Jesus, that's the love of Christ, right? I, I go and prepare a place. You know, in my father's house there are many mansions. I'm going to come, I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you to my home. I'm going to take you to my home. I love that about the Lord because he doesn't just desire to save us, right? If we're lost, he, he not just saves us, but he takes us to his home. Think about that. The religious leaders didn't even want to have to eat with them, let alone receive them into their own homes. No, that's not, that's, that's not even in their mindset. And then it tells us that when he, 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 he rejoices individually, the shepherd does, but then it also says that there's even more rejoicing because he calls his friends <clears throat> and his neighbors and he calls them to rejoice. He calls them to, to rejoice with him. You know what that means? 
That means that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his own, to let others know it. These Pharisees, they wouldn't even be caught dead in the presence of these, these sinners, if you will, let alone calling them his, their own. They just rejected them. All right. And yet Hebrews 2.11 says this, for he, that's Christ, who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all of one. And then he says, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you realize that? Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. He's not ashamed of us, right? That's beautiful. And then he adds, Jesus adds in this parable, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Wow, think about that, man. When one sinner, we've, we talked about this, right? Like one sinner repents and it's like a party in heaven, just rejoicing because of that one person who just turns their life back over to the Lord, right? But I want you to understand something as well because when Jesus says uh, one sinner who repents as opposed to the 99 just persons who need no repentance, it's not as if when you read that you think, oh, is Jesus say? Well, you know, in society, there's that 1% of individuals are really, really bad, you know, and they need a savior, right? But the rest, they're all right. They're fine. They'll make it in. They'll do just fine. You know, that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, we know that because Romans 3.10 says, there are none righteous, no, not one. (laughs) So when Jesus says, just persons who need no repentance. The idea here is he's actually speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to really anyone who think that they are just, who just believe that they are just, who believe that they have no need for a savior. They're wrong, right? They think that they're okay. They cannot grasp the fact that they are just as sinful as the tax collectors and the sinners that they're that they're pointing their finger at. They're just as lost. And yet Jesus is saying, they don't get it. They're not going to get it. They think they're just. Now, Jesus then gives a second parable. That's that first parable, the lost sheep. Now, let's move to the second one, the lost coin. It's very similar. A few nuances, a few different nuances. He says, (coughs) excuse me, uh, verse 8, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the piece which I lost. Likewise, he says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, Let's break this down. First, it's interesting because Jesus in the first parable says, what man of you? And then in the second parable, he says, or what woman? So is Jesus trying to be non-sexist? You know, is this like an equal opportunity parable? I'm going to talk about men, but I don't want to leave the women out, you know, kind of a thing, you know? Well, I will say this. First, oh, thank you very much. Good job. You are. I'll just put it down here. Jesus, first off, Jesus uh, loved women. I mean, he elevated, God elevated women through Christianity. Don't believe all the hype that says, oh, Christianity is all sexist and putting women down. No, think about this. Jesus, who was the first person when he, Jesus rose from the grave? Who, did the, who was the first person that Jesus appeared to? Mary Magdalene, right? In fact, he told her to go and tell all the other disciples. So the, the, these men had to actually listen to a woman and and the testimony and say, oh, we get our information from Mary, right? And so Jesus loved and elevated women. So, But that's not what this parable is about. That's not what this is about. The actual, this woman here, uh, and I'll tell you why I say this, but this woman actually represents a bride, right? A bride. In fact, the coin that she lost, because it says there were 10 coins, 
All right? So if you understand the kind of the terminology that Jesus is using, they did when he said it, but the, that, that coin was, was a part of, this 10 coin was a part of a bridal headset, right? That, that this woman would have worn at her, on her wedding day. Right, so the coin that she lost then was much more significant. It wasn't like you know I'm collecting all the quarters of the states, you know, of the United States, and I lost Alaska, and I gotta find it because my set won't be complete. You know, that is not what this is about, right? This would be like for ladies, if you have a wedding ring, you have several diamonds in your di- in your set that you lose one of those diamonds, right? And, and, and understand, it, there is value in a silver coin or in a diamond. I understand that, right? <clears throat> but you would know, and we would understand, that it's more about the sentimental value, what it represents, right? That she lost something that was within her bridal headset. This, this, was her, the, this bridal headset, like a ring, would represent her commitment to her, her husband, to her groom. And she lost it. So you can understand the seriousness, how serious this was for her to find this coin. And so again, there's, there's, there's some things that this speaks to, right? Because uh, first, I mean, we, we understand if you just say, well, this, this also speaks to how, how much the Lord loves us and would want to seek after us, right? But we also know that there's many places, 2 Corinthians 11.2 and some other passages that refer to the church as the bride, right? As the bride, right? So in a very real way, Jesus is giving the second parable, basically saying, as the bride, we should have the same heart for the lost. We should have the same mindset. We should, just like Jesus does, you know, he's affirming as well in this parable, but just like he would do, there was no obstacle. There was nothing that would stop us from reaching the lost. Right? In fact, what does that bride do? She lights the lamp. She sweeps the house. Right? She does whatever it takes. She looks everywhere to find that lost coin. Right? And that lost coin, when it's found and it's brought back in, it's a part of the bride of Christ as well. So that's the awesome encouragement to those that are out there. God wants to take you in and not just save you to be a part of you know, part of a, his kingdom, like as a subject, you know. Okay, we are subjects of the king, of the king of kings, right? But more than just subjects, we're, uh, we're and then and, and, and the Bible talks about we're a part of his family. That's great too, right? So we're part of his family. We're, brought, we're sons and we're daughters. But even beyond that, the Lord tells us he makes us his bride. We're his bride. That is so special. That is precious. Right? Because now you're, you're connected. We are connected. I know we think of brides. We're not, we're not Mormons. There's not multiple brides, right? It is one bride. We are many members, but we are one body, right? One body, one bride. And we're the bride of Christ. And listen, Jesus is basically saying, listen, if you understand the, the length that I am willing to go, to find you, right? That lost sheep, right? That lost coin. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8 says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's the level, that's the extent that Jesus went to find you and I, Right? He, he gave up glory in heaven and became a man, took on sinful flesh, and then even allowed his own creation to impale him, to torture him, to impale him on a cross. All for us. All for what he, for, for finding us. In fact, Hebrews 12.10 says, Who, that's Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So in other words, when Jesus was on the cross, I don't know how this can happen. I don't, I mean, I don't understand the, how this works, but the, the reality of it is, what's that joy? That joy is knowing that you and I, the lost coin, the lost sheep, would be found, would come to know the Lord, right? And we would, we would come. That very thought was the joy that helped Jesus, that gave him the strength to endure what he had to endure, you know, before and during the cross, Right? That joy of knowing that one sheep, that one coin was found. And I love this parable because as well, 
when the woman finds the coin, she too calls all her friends, right, and her family and calls them to come and rejoice with her. Listen, as the bride, we should have that same excitement when people come to know the Lord or if there's a wayward sheep that comes back or, you know, somebody that was out there was, you know, backslidden or whatever. When they come back to know, you know, find the Lord again, we should have that same heart. We should be rejoicing, right? Just like, just like the Lord, just like the good shepherd, you know? Then Jesus says, likewise, so similar to that first parable, he says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Interesting, because in the previous parable, uh, Jesus talked about, you know, there's joy in heaven, there's rejoicing in heaven. But this parable has a little bit of a different twist because it says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Who, who is actually in the presence of the angels of God? That's the Lord himself. That's Jesus himself. He actually is rejoicing that, that there's that sinner repenting, right? And think about this. The, uh, the, the fact that Jesus rejoices when, when we turn back to him. Zephaniah 3.17 says this. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that for a moment. Man, just think about that. Think, we talk about worship. We have worship time like this morning and it's great and we love it. And then we think about like, oh, when we get to heaven and then all of the saints will be all together and then we'll be just, it's just with our perfected voices. So nobody's going to have a bad voice. We're all going to have great voices and we're all going to be together. We're going to be worshiping the Lord and how awesome that's going to sound and it will. And then you flip the script and you think about God. The Bible says that God will be singing over us. I want to tell you that God is going to have the greatest voice there ever was and ever could be, right? He's going to be singing over us. That's the kind of love, that's the excitement that God has for us when we come to know him. And think about this, because to know that experience, to know the greatness of that moment when the Lord sings over us, sings over you, all it you know, comes to or all it takes is just answering that question. Are you lost? And coming to that place and saying, yes, Lord. Yes, God. I am lost. I need to be found, right? And if we do that, right? I know there's in repentance and there's, there's humbling ourselves, but it really kind of boils down to just saying, yes, Lord, I'm lost. When we, when we come to that point, Luke 19, 10 says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost, right? So some of you here, most of you here, I would trust that, have, have come to that place. You said, I'm lost. And now you come to the Lord and he has, he's found you, right? He's found you. And I love that because the idea here is that once you are found, I'll never be lost again. You will never be lost again. We already read John 10, 27, but I want to read a few more verses, uh, 27 through 29, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Listen, when you give your life to the Lord, when you come to Him, you, he, you're in the grip of God. You are in the grip of God, the double grip, if you want to call it that. You're, he, and listen, you're not going to be lost ever again, right? You're not going to be lost. Someone once said, he didn't choose you to lose you, right? You're not going to be lost. You're going to be in his hand and in his grip for all eternity. And so I would just say, that's those that have been saved, those that know the Lord. I'd also say if, you, if you're here and you never have surrendered your, your life to the Lord, Right? You never have given your heart. Maybe you've come to church, you play church, you do all that kind of stuff, and you think, well, it's all good, you know, nobody knows. I, but you know deep down in your heart, you just, just haven't really, or maybe you're away from God, you, you know, and maybe distant, kind of back away from Him. Come to Him. 
right? He's at, he's looking for you. He's searching for you. He's drawing you in. And he wants you to know that, that, that feeling of, of him singing over you, that he loves you, that he cares about you, right? He's searching. All it takes is to say, yes, Lord, I'm lost. I need you, right? And he will, he will, he will take you in like that sheep, like that coin. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we know that, Lord, we, we think sometimes we, so most people think they're just doing right. They're doing okay. They, they, they're the captain of their own destiny. They know where they're going. And yet, Lord, they're just blind. And then there's others that try to lead them, the blind leading the blind, and we know what happens there. They both fall into that ditch. And yet, Lord, all it just takes is for us to just raise our hands. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm lost. I'm just, I don't know what else to do, Lord. I'm, I, I know that you're the one who is searching. You're the one that's seeking. Lord, I pray that you would help those that, don't, that, haven't, that need to kind of find themselves in that place, that place of just surrender again, Lord, or even for the first time. I pray you'd help them to do that. Lord, for those of us who know and have, have you know, been in your grip for, for however long, Lord, help us to never doubt that. Lord, the enemy is going to try to tell us, oh, you know, what you did or the sin you committed, it's, it's too much. It's beyond his grace. There is nothing that is beyond your grace. When sin abounds, you said, Lord, grace abounds that much more. And so I thank you for that, Lord. Comfort us, assure our hearts that we are always in your hand, always in your care. And Lord, I do pray for the lost that out in this world and this society in Pasadena and in, in the greater Houston area and Texas as a whole. And then we, we even beyond that into, into the other parts of the world, into Scotland and into Sterling. Lord, we, there are lost people all around us. They're walking around thinking they know where they're going, but they're just completely and utterly lost. And, and we have the ability, we have the answers because we know you to, to show them that they can be found, Lord God. Help us to have that heart. Help us to have that boldness, that mindset. And help us to see your kingdom furthered and these lost souls brought back in or brought into your kingdom, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.